The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Turn to Mark chapter 7. We've been uh, talking and looking over the past uh, three or four weeks now about faith. And uh, this morning we're going to continue that uh, discussion in Mark chapter 7. And we'll be down in verse 24. If you want to turn there and go ahead and read and look at some of that. Have you ever wondered what really grips the attention of the Lord? I mean, what, what, what gets a hold of the Lord that really catches His attention? What does He get excited about? And uh, I think he, he loves our worship. I think He loves our prayer time. I think He loves when we commune with Him. But uh, when we really think about what God gets excited about, I think we find that revealed in our Scripture today. God gets excited about faith. And faith always gets the Lord's attention. Uh, and what, what, uh, if we want to get through to God, or if we really want to get God's attention, the way we do that is through faith. Now, last week we looked at faith and a little bit about what faith is. We were in Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm not going to review all of that, but the two things that we kind of came to a conclusion with is, if faith is confidence and conviction... And we find that definition there in Hebrews chapter 11. So, so confidence and conviction. The Bible has a lot to say about faith. And this morning we're going to look at uh, an example of great faith. And we're going to find that great faith that it is confidence and it's conviction. And uh, faith in the Bible is described in numerous ways. We see a, a faith in the Bible described as a weak faith and a, a strong faith. We see bold faith talked about. We see abiding faith talked about. We see sincere faith talked about. And there's many other kinds of faith described in the Bible. But in all of the Bible... There are only two individuals who are described as having great faith in the Gospels. We find only two, uh, and, and they're described as having great faith. And maybe it's a little bit surprising, both of these people are Gentiles. The two people uh, that we find that are described as having great faith, one is the Canaanite woman, we're going to discuss her today in our text, and the other is the Roman centurion who came to Jesus, and uh, that's in the 8th chapter of Matthew. Matthew. So the question for us to consider today is, is what does Jesus mean when he says this woman's faith is great? And that's what I want us to see today. It's great because, or I ask this question, is it great because, of, uh, uh, because it was stronger or more mature or more sincere? Not at all. That's not why... Jesus described that, that it was a great faith. It's because of this great faith uh, that he says she has. It was called some of the obstacles that she overcame to display it. And we're going to look at those obstacles this morning. And we see that great faith is often tested. Listen, hear that. Great faith is often tested and it's hammered out on the anvil of difficulties. So when we think about great faith, we need to realize that great faith comes with difficulties and and great faith comes with with some adversity sometimes. So here in Mark chapter 7, we're just going to jump in kind of the middle of a reading because it starts out from there, he arose and he went to a region of Thyra and Sidon. Well, where he has been, if you turn back a few uh, passages, you realize that's where Jesus fed the multitudes, the thousands, and then... He gets and uh, we see the story about him walking on the water and the multitudes coming around to see him. And so this is kind of where we are. He, 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 he's going to another region 
And he enters the house, and he wanted no one to know about it. But he could not be hidden. This is Mark chapter 7. Now we're in verse 25. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrian Phoenician. It may say uh, P-Y-R-O, S-Y-R-O, but but that's Syrian, uh, Phoenician by birth. And she kept asking Jesus, him, to cast out the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she answered to him and said, yes, Lord, even with little dogs under the table, they eat from the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, listen, for this saying, go your way, the demon is gone from your daughter, and when she had come to her, she, she, her house, she found that the demon had gone out and her daughter was lying on the bed. Does that make any sense? I mean, when we read that and we see that she comes to Jesus, she says, hey, uh, I've got a daughter that needs healing. And he says, uh, you know, dogs eat bread off the table and we don't cook for the dogs. And she says, well, you're right, but even little dogs get some crumbs every now and then. What does that mean? I mean, I think we can read through Mark, we can read that and go, hmm, wonder what he's talking about there, and we can just move on. Well, that's what I want us to look at this morning, because in this passage of Scripture, Jesus looks at this woman and says, you have great faith because of what you said. So we want to look at this, and, and I want us to understand what she said and what made this faith so great. And I have four distinctive things this morning that I think we can find about great faith. And the first, the foundation of a great faith. And that's what I want us to look at to start off with. The text tells us that Jesus went outside of the region of Galilee. He had moved out to these, these interests there in Thyra and Sidon, and they were, they were areas distinctly known as Gentile areas. And after this time of intense ministry, what he had just gone through, and he, he had been ministering, and there's multitudes and multitudes following, and he's, been, uh, he's kind of been in contact with all these religious leaders. And, and Jesus and his disciples, they decide to go out and seek a place where they can find some rest. I mean, you ever get there sometimes? You just need to withdraw and you need to get somewhere that you, you can simply find a little bit of rest and a little bit of relaxation. And, and that's where Jesus had went. He had went to this area of the Gentiles and, and he wanted to get away from the demands of the ministry. But even there, he couldn't escape notice. And, and so we see this foundation of great faith. The first thing we see here is this woman acted out of desperation. I mean, in verse 25 and 26, this woman's daughter had an unclean spirit. And she heard about him, Jesus, and she came and fell at his feet. This is verse 25. And verse 26, the woman uh, who was a Greek, who was a Phoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. Now, the source of her desperation is this. It's her daughter. And she comes, and, and this term that, that's used here is a description of, she's really talking about my darling little girl. That's what she, that was the description that, that she gave. And, and she says that her daughter has an unclean spirit. And this, this unclean spirit, if you go and look, it means a, a moral sense. It's a moral issue she's having with her daughter. And, and the mother knew that her daughter was, was, had this condition because of demons, because of, of some type of satanic activity. So she 
she comes before Jesus and, and she somehow knew what the problem was. Now, how did this happen? This is a little side note. It's probably a result of dabbling with the occult. Because when, when we look at this and we study this, her mother has been involved in, in pagan religion. And anytime we see someone involved in pagan religion, there's some demonic possessions take place there. There's some things going on now. Now, now you may say, well, Jake, that's your opinion. No, it's really not. If you turn 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul reminds the church at Corinth that very thing. He reminds them that, that idol worship is not just some type of harmless worship but that idol worship is inspired, no, how, no, no matter how often it occurs, it's, in, it's inspired by Satan. So anytime someone begins worshiping some type of idol, and we could go on and on and talk about all the idols we have today, Satan is involved in that somehow. And, and very likely during this woman's life, she was probably a, a, a worship of a shatari, and I may not be saying that exactly right, you can look it up on the internet, A-S-H-A-R-T-E, a shardy, and, and it shows this, this figure that they worshiped during this time. And, and during that region, that would have been the one that, that they would have worshiped. So more than likely, there's a mother and a family, and they've been worshiping this false idol. And as a result of that, the daughter has, has, has in, been involved in some kind of, of demon possession. Now, I don't want to talk about all that this morning and get into all those ideals, but this woman, this residence here of Sidon was, was this, probably a worshiper of, of a shatari, and, and everything's going fine. Now, what I want us to think about is, is, you know, when we're worshiping something beside God and everything's going fine, there's no problem, is there? Because everything's fine, but, but all of a sudden, when something happens, something major happened, and, and she realized that she needed something more than a dead religion. She needed something more, uh, these ashartis. If you look, there's, uh, you can go and, and you can actually purchase these little uh, uh, clay, I can't think of what they're called. Uh, what's that pink-looking clay that gets real hard? Huh, Play-Doh? No, no, it wasn't Play-Doh. Uh, anyway, if you watch, uh, if you watch the uh, uh, Forged in Fire, they're always chopping on these things. Uh, anyway, you'll have to look it up and find out later. It'll come to me in a minute. But, but anyway, they make these little statues of those things. And, and during this time, that would have been what, what, what she would have probably been worshiping, this idol, but all of a sudden, she has a daughter that has a serious need. And as her daughter has this serious need, I'm sure she appealed to this goddess for help. But nothing happened. Terracotta. There you go. That's what I was trying to think of, these terracotta little images. But, but nothing had happened. So, so she's looking for something to give her hope. She's looking for something that, that her powerless religion had failed to give her. And you see the gods of this world, whether they're materialism, whether they're new age, whether it's philosophy, whatever they may be, the gods of this world today, they're, as, they're fine as long as there's nothing really serious going on. But when things get serious, we need to turn to a real God. And hopefully as Christians, we live our life in the shadow of that real God. And, and I think that's what this woman realized, that, that in her desperation, her God that she was serving was powerless to help. 
And she had to display a faith. I found this on the internet. Brett Hume, y'all probably have heard of him. He's on Fox News. You remember a few years ago, Tiger Woods uh, was in a moral dilemma, and it was really became his downfall. And Brett Hume, he's on Fox News. He offered this advice to Tiger Woods to help him through this moral dilemma. He, uh, he advised that the Buddhism that Tiger is a part of, he's a Buddhist, that he professes, he, this Brett Hume said, I, I, don't, I don't think this is going to offer any help or the help that he needs. I don't think a faith like that offers the kind of forgiveness and the kind of redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. Turn to the Christian faith and you can make a total recovery and you could be a great example to the world. And as Brett Hume pointed out, uh, as the woman in our text come to a conclusion, there's only one source of help. There's only one, one that's adequate during our times of deepest trouble, and that's Jesus Christ. And, and she came and she turned to him. And, and I was thinking, you know, almost uh, every person we see, we're facing some kind of problems in our building today. I'm sure there's folks facing, facing all kinds of different problems. And, and some of them are devastating problems. Some of them are maybe financial. They may be health issues. There, there's any number of things. We may, uh, we could probably just take a, a board up here and start making a list and saying, what are some struggles we deal with? And, and no doubt we could, we could fill that up. But we need to understand the same person that answers this woman's problems. The same person that, that said, I have an answer for you and, and you're a woman of great faith. He's still available today. And he still offers that same healing by faith. So we see here as she comes, we see she comes uh, in desperation. But, but not only was she a little bit desperate, she acted on her faith. I want us to think about this. It's, it's acting on a faith. And, and it's simply, it, it, it's simply uh, easy to say, well, I have great faith. And I believe Christ can deliver me. And I believe He can work in the midst of my problems. That's easy to say, but, but sometimes there takes some action. And I think that's what faith is. This woman, she had heard what Jesus had done for others, and she believed that He could do the same thing for her. So she came, and, and she... She came to, to Christ. Now listen, she came to him, and we need to understand this. Faith in itself is worthless. Did you hear that? You know, faith in itself is worthless. To make sense and to have power, it must be placed in a trustworthy person. Now we talked about this last week. We talked about the difference in faith is the object of our faith. You know, we talked about sitting in a chair or getting in a car and driving and all those things. We put our, our faith in those things. But, but this saving faith and this faith that makes a difference, it, it, it matters the, the object of our faith. As this woman came, she acted on her faith and she realized that, that this terracotta figure wasn't going to fulfill her need. That object that had been her faith, it was leaving her empty and dry. She realized she needed something even greater, and she found that in Christ. There's a song, you, you may have heard this. I believe for every drop of rain that falls. That's Elvis. Did y'all recognize that? A flower grows. Y'all remember that? Here's the words. That's a pretty good Elvis. Amen. Thank you for that. I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. 
I believe that somewhere in the darkest night, a candle glows. I believe a storm, I believe above the storm, a smallest prayer can still be heard. And I believe someone in the great somewhere hears every word. You know, Frank Sinatra recorded that. Elvis Presley recorded that. Leon, Leon Rhymes recorded that song. And, and all of that song, more we can sing it, and we say, oh, that's such a, a beautiful song. You know what it is? It's sentimental nonsense. Why is it sentimental nonsense? Because it's not based on anything. It's simply saying, oh, I, I believe all of these things that in the great out there, Somewhere, there's a great someone who hears our prayer. There's a great someone that I believe in. And, and that's not the object of our faith. Christ is the object of our faith. He's real. He's someone we can go to. He's someone that hears our prayers. He's not just in the, the great out known and the great out yonder. And, and as this lady came, she acted on her faith. But the woman in our story, she believed, she believed this, Jesus was her only hope. She didn't simply say there's got to be something better out there. She, she realized that Jesus was the only way. And, and she realized that, that if she came to faith in Jesus, and, and Jesus knew that, that he would respond. Her coming to him, that was a, a sign to him that she had a, re, a repentant heart. Well, here's the second thing. We see the foundations of this great faith. It started in desperation. It was followed up with her acting upon this faith. And then this, this, this second part of this faith was a, was a cultivation of this great faith. Look at what it says. But Jesus said to her in verse 27, Let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Now, this is where it gets interesting to me. The response that Jesus had, when we look at this first, it, it's kind of strange. It's kind of insensitive because we know the history of what's going on. We know where this lady's come from. She's, she's come to Christ in desperation. She has a daughter that's fading away, and in desperation, she, she cries out to Jesus desperately. And, and we look at this, and we say, how, how strange for Jesus to respond that way. How insensitive for Him to respond that way. But, but here, her faith is being tested I mean, when, when we look at this, uh, may, maybe Jesus uh, came to her and maybe she didn't understand all the things that, that's happening, but Jesus is testing her faith, not that, not that he would know about her faith, listen, but that she would know the power of her faith. See, he wanted her to understand the power that she had in her faith. He already understood that, so he, he puts her to a test. And, and in fact, she has a series of discouraging events that takes place right here. Listen to this, folks, because I believe we live here a lot of times. I believe when we're in the midst of a struggle and, and when we're dealing with faith issues, we kind of live where this lady's at. First, she's discouraged, she's discouraged by the Lord's silence. If you go over to Matthew chapter 15, 21 through 28... It's a, it's a parallel account of, of this story we're reading. And it indicates that initially, as she came to Christ and she, met, she made this request, you know what Christ did? Was silence. He didn't do anything. He, he didn't even respond. And for us, sometimes the hardest response to accept is when we get no response at all. 
And, and Jesus, why was he silent? And, and I think the reason had to do with his mission. In verse 26, we're told that she was a, a Greek, uh, a Phoenician by birth. And that term Greek is someone, uh, who is a non-Jew or it's also, it's referred to as Gentile. But it also indicates that she, she was Hellenized by the Greek culture. She probably even spoke the Greek language. And, and Mark also identifies that she was kind of a radical in those areas. She was a, a Canaanite woman. Some of your headings may say, even say a Canaanite woman comes to the Lord. But she was a Canaanite woman. She was a descendant of the original inhabitants of the promised land. And, and perhaps interesting in our day, she would be called a, a, a Philistine, a, 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 a Philistinian or whatever you'd call them. But, but that's who we'd recognize her as today. At any rate, she was a pagan. Uh, she she was she was uh, despised by the religious establishment. And remember, the Jews they despised anybody that wasn't Jew, and and that's where this lady found herself. She was considered unclean. She was considered a dog, and she was a female. On top of all that, I mean, during this time and during this age, she approached Jesus and she claimed Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Now, I don't want to lose you in this, and I want you to get bogged down and say, oh, I've kind of, I'm kind of losing interest in what you're talking about. Listen to what she said in Matthew 50, 20, 15, verse 22. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So as she comes to Christ, she, she claims to a, a purely a Jewish promise. Now, this is important to get this. You might, we might think, well, I, I didn't, I don't, that don't mean anything to me today. Well, it is. It's important for us to understand this. She had no claim to Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. The reason we need to understand this is because Jesus' response shows her that. She comes to Jesus. She says, I'm recognizing that you're, a, uh, you're, you're purely came for the Jews. You're a Jewish promise. He refuses to respond. And Matthew 15, 23 is where it says, but he answered not a word. He doesn't even answer. And, and that doesn't sound anything like the Jesus we know, does it? Because when we look at the Bible and we see Jesus, we want to hear stories that people came to Jesus. They ask him, boom, he answered them and they move on. But Jesus didn't respond at all. The, the silence in Jesus' voice, you know what it did? It tested her faith. Wouldn't that test your faith? I mean, you, she came to Jesus. She said, have mercy on me. Promised Jewish Messiah. And she hears nothing. Our day today, we like instant gratification. We, we, we like to see what we want, get what we want, and, and uh, have it right then, even from God. We, we don't want to wait. We, we cry out to God, and, and if we hear silence, we, we say, well, wait a minute, God, where are you at? And for this lady, he was simply testing her faith. So she was discouraged by the Lord's silence. Here's the second thing. She was discouraged by the annoyance of the disciples. If you're over in Matthew chapter 15, the second part of verse 23, the disciples get annoyed at this woman. And they come to Jesus and they say, boy, send this woman away from us. Send her on away, for she's crying out after us. See, they, they, there's a woman, she's there, and I'll probably get to this in just a moment, but she's laying flat out on the floor. And she's crying out to Jesus, have mercy on me, and, and I have this problem. And the disciples said, Lord, send this woman out of here. 
Just get rid of her. She don't need to be here among us. It says, Lord, send her away. And the implication here is, is this. Lord, just give her what she wants and get rid of her. Not out of compassion, not out of, of love, but simply, Lord, just, just get rid of her because she, so she won't annoy us anymore. So that had to be discouraging. Here are these men, and here she's laying herself before Christ, and she's pleading for Christ, and the disciples going, oh, get rid of this lady. This is an embarrassment to us. This, this is really making us uncomfortable. Don't you know that she was discouraged by those things? And, and here's, here's the third thing that had to be a discouragement to her. Back in Matthew 7, verse 27, this is where he says, Let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dog. So first Christ is silent. He doesn't say anything. And then when he does speak, he, he uses a, a not the term that, that usually describes Gentiles. And listen, that's how Jews describe Gentiles as dogs. And the word they used as these dogs were this. They were those wild scavengers that roamed the streets during that time fighting over trash. I mean, that's how, that's how they normally would describe us. So when Jesus used that word, he didn't use that same word that described those wild dogs. Your translation may say, my NIV says, little puppies, I think's what it says. Somebody help me out there. Does it? Okay, y'all make a liar out of me. That's what you're going to do, ain't it? Okay, well, I read one translation that said little dogs. Anyway, that's what Jesus, that's the term he uses. In other words, Jesus says this in his reply to her. See, we begin to understand why his reply, why why us understanding his reply makes a big difference. He don't use the word scavengers, dogs that are roaming the streets. He uses a, a word more like a, a puppy. In other words, he uses a, 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 a picture of a household and a household pet. And in the, they pictured this, this household pet, this scene of a family sitting around a table, and, uh, and the household pet may be sitting under the table, Maybe some of you have that. We do. We've got a little Boston Terrier, and she stays in our house. And when we sit down and eat, you know what she does? She gets by somebody and stares at them, just hoping something will fall from the table. Well, that's the term Jesus used. He used that, that household ideal of someone, of a pet that would sit around the family table expecting someone to slip them a morsel of meat or, or expecting a few crumbs to fall from the table. So when Jesus says this, let the children be fed first, for it's not good to take the children's food and feed it to the house pet, feed it to the dogs that are under the table. Now, understand this. That's Jesus' reply. But, but she has something that she, 
she responds to in that. She, Jesus says, he, first, he's silent. She had to be discouraged. Second, the disciples there, they're, they're annoyed by her. She had to be discouraged. Third, Jesus uses these words that says, you know what? Uh, why would I take the, the food meant for the children and feed it to the dogs? She had to be discouraged by that. If this had been a woman of weak faith, she might have interpreted what Christ said through all of those things as, he don't have the ability to help me. He, he can't help me. If, if she had had a, a weak faith, she may have been uh, just tempted to turn away and say, well, the disciples don't want me here. He won't speak to me, and, and I'm going to turn away. But she may have, she may have had a, the ideal of she was full of pride. Listen to this, folks. Jesus says, why would I take meat for the children and give it to dogs? What would we do in our pride? Well, okay, fine. You don't want to help me? I'm out of here. You don't want me here, disciples? Well, I'm leaving. Jesus, you don't respond to me? I'm gone. I mean, all of those things, if, if she had had pride there, but instead of doing that, she, she moves us to our third point. There was a cultivation of this great faith, and, and she demonstrates this great faith. Now listen to what she says. And she answers him. When Jesus says, you know, you don't cook food, and you don't cook it for the, the children and throw it to the dogs... She answered him and said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Now, remember what I said a while ago? What did Jesus say? Because of the things you said. See, what happened is is we don't know that this woman completely understood that all she said when she says, Jesus is Lord. But do you know what? This is the only time... In all the Gospels that Jesus is dressed as Lord, did you, can you believe that? I mean, if we asked that out of the blue, you'd probably say, well, I don't know how many hundreds of times He's addressed as Lord in the Gospels. This is the only time that this woman came and, and she, she addressed Him as Lord. In her response, it, it displayed great humility. Over in, in 1522 of Matthew, her cry was for mercy. And as she came to the Lord and, and, and she said, yes, Lord. She recognized Him as Lord. I think if we were there that, that we could, we may could hear a change in His tone of voice. I think we may have seen a, a sparkle in His eye or maybe the hint of a smile on His lips because as her faith was tested, you remember those three things? Those three things when I said what Jake would have done, but said, fine, you don't want to help me, I'm gone. Fine, I'll just go somewhere else. Her faith was tested, and as her faith was tested, she answered him and said, yes, Lord. Yet even with little dogs under the table, they eat from crumbs. She doesn't argue with the fact to God that, that you know what, there, it's certain person, you came for a certain group of people, but, but hey God, let me, let me defend my, let me defend my fact. Let me, let me argue a little bit of, of my case. She didn't, she didn't say, well, well, we're not dogs, and I'm not a dog, and I'm not an outsider. She, she simply came and, and she said, you know what? I understand I have no claim in the portion that you came. I, I have no, no, no claim, uh, even the child's portion. She didn't ask God to, that, that He would take anything from His chosen people. Do you see where this is going? See, she recognized 
Christ had came for the Jews. And she, her response was this, I'm not taking anything away from them. I don't want to take their promise. I, I don't want to take their inheritance. I, I don't want to take anything. I don't want to deprive them from anything. I want them to have their rightful portion. I want, to have, I want them to have their, their, full, per, their full portion. She recognized I had, she, she had no right to His healing. She recognized all of those things, but she also had confidence. You remember what our definition of faith was? It's confidence, and she had the confidence to, to know that God was big enough, and God was able to, to even bring to her life this healing. And, and she simply looked and said, you know what? I just want some crumbs. I mean, even the dog gets a few crumbs. So when we put that together, see what Jesus says in verse 29, and this is, a, this is the reward, this is the last thing of this great faith. He said to her, for this saying, go on your way. Now, doesn't that make sense? Everything we read a while ago, doesn't it make sense all of a sudden? When Christ says, it's not for food to bring and throw to the dogs, and her response in, yeah, but even the dogs get a few crumbs every now and then, he, he recognized because of this saying, the demon is gone from your daughter. And when she had come to the house, she found the demon had gone out and her daughter lying there on the bed. In Matthew fifteen twenty eight, Jesus uses this word. He responded to her and he says, because of your great faith, because of this thing, because you recognized who I am, you recognize my purpose here, and even in those tests you realize that, that I'm not taking anything from God from your promised children, but, but I just need a few crumbs because that's sufficient for me. That's all I need, God. If you'll, just, if you'll just allow me to have a couple of those crumbs that fall from the table, then your faith, your, your, your healing will take place. And, and when God realized that, when Jesus seen that in her, He said, woman, you have great faith. And because of these things you said, go, and, and you'll find the healing has taken place. As Jesus responded to her, her great faith, she, she had been healed, and, and uh, there had been a recognition of that need. Now, there's a couple of things I want us to remember as we close up. She had been healed because there had been persistence in her asking. What does this apply to us today? This is where I want us to hear Think of how persistent she had been. Persistent enough that, that the disciples said, my goodness, just give her what she wants or she'll get out of here. I mean, she, she had been persistent. She, she didn't change God's heart. She, she proved her sincerity. She had been tested, and, and in her testing, she had went ahead and said, you know what, God, even in my testing, I believe you can still heal she had an attitude of humility. She had an attitude of surrender. And because of those things, Christ recognized that she had a great faith. Sometimes in our testing, we collapse or we quit or we give up or, or we faint. She didn't do any of those things for, uh, through her hardship. She pressed on and the Lord granted her request. This morning, I want to ask you to bow with me and I want, I want you to consider a couple of things. As we think about how we put that faith into practice, we, we think about what it means and, and we think about what faith is, that confidence. 
and that conviction. This woman came and she was confident that Jesus could bring healing to her situation. And she had that conviction saying, Lord, I, I know who you are and I know what you're capable of. And Lord, I come to you in faith. I want to ask you this morning, are you passing through some kind of trial? I know there's all kinds of trials. We don't know about uh, amongst ourselves, a family of believers, but so often we're in some type of trial, and we're, we're fighting our way through it. I, I could try to list a bunch of things. I'm not going to, but you know if you're in the midst of a trial. Would you, would you be like this woman and humble yourself before the Lord? If, if heaven seems silent, or if your prayers appear to be unanswered, maybe you're simply going through those times of test. Maybe if God didn't respond, and then His words kind of seem harsh, and those other around give that advice, you know, just let it go and just move on. Maybe God's testing the sincerity of your faith. There's always a possibility of yes where there's never been an answer of no. Whatever your need is this morning, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. You know, we have an opportunity during a prayer time every Sunday just to come to the altar and just to lay our needs at Jesus' feet. Oh, you can do it where you're sitting, but there's something about coming to the altar just to say, Lord, I'm coming before you. You know, this lady could have sat at home and said, well, I believe in Jesus and uh, I'm going to lift up my request to him. And, but she came before the Lord. She fell face down before the Lord. She pleaded that God would find mercy on her child. Whatever situation we're in, do you have that faith that you can just come before God and just lay yourself open and say, God, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know where to go, but I believe that you have the answer to my need. Do you need saved? Come to him. Do you have special needs in your family? Come to him. Do you need directions? Come to him. Whatever your need. Jesus says this in Revelation, come. All you are weary, come. All of you are thirsty, come. And I'll give the right to drink freely from the water of life. Father, I pray this morning as we really look at what it is to have that conviction and have that confidence that we have in faith. Lord, I pray that we would take the, the example of this woman who you tell us has great faith who recognized just a few crumbs from your table was sufficient for our needs Lord I pray that we would just stop with with the saying of faith and Lord we'd put into practice saying you know what I have confidence and I have conviction Lord that you can answer that you will answer and even in the midst of silence we would know that you're still here and you're still responding. Father, this morning we have a time of invitation, I pray, Lord, that we would surrender to you, that we would really let your Spirit teach us and understand what it is 
to have this great faith that we see here in word today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.